Good morning, family. Good morning, good morning. It is such a um, privilege to be here with you, and such a breath of fresh air. It was, um, I was just thinking yesterday, it was 20-something years ago, 23 years ago, I think, I had, I had opportunity to go overseas for the first time for ministry, and I came home and said to the church, it's amazing, the same spirit is there and at work, and coming back, the same spirit is here, and he is so sweet, and he is at work, and being with you always feels like coming home, and it's such a, um, such a sweet thing, such a, such a privilege. I'd like to speak to you today um, from a passage that we had an opportunity to study at our mission church, out of Hebrews chapter 11. This is the first verse of Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We found a surprising surprising amount of difficulty talking about faith together and a lot of common misunderstandings that I think we all have about faith because it is by faith that we are saved in Christ and find ourselves adopted as his children. And here we are, all the boys and girls, sons and daughters of our loving Heavenly Father, by faith. And so it's very important to know what what is this? What does this mean, faith? How do do we live out faith? What is faith in our hearts, in our minds? What does it look like in our lives? Um, (coughs) For me, the most important thing to to not miss about faith is that faith is all that God requires from you. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Nothing but faith. He calls you to faith in him. So I want to take a look today at what that means. And as we looked at this together in in our church, we found a surprising number of misunderstandings, uh, accidental misconceptions that we tend to give ourselves. We tend to misread some scriptures. The way we talk about faith in our daily life Oh, just have faith, brother, can kind of mislead or confuse what it is to have faith or to be faithful. And so today I actually want to, the title of my sermon is, the next slide, Faith is Not. There's a couple of important things that faith is not. I don't want you to go into the new year, perhaps with some New Year's resolutions. I think New Year's resolutions are great. Setting up for yourself the ways in which God wants to grow you or um, your ministry Um, don't overburden yourself with ideas of what it is that God expects of you. Because faith is not all these other things. So my outline is very simple. We're going to look at um, two things. Faith is not, and then I'll tell you what faith is. (laughs) My favorite favorite definition of faith, I guess. So two things that faith is not. Faith, Faith is not one, faith is not two, And then we'll look at faith is number three. And the first one is this. Faith is not a level of psychological certainty. I know that's a bit dense for the very very end of 2019. Faith is not a level of psychological certainty. What I mean there is that faith isn't how sure you are of something. Faith isn't how confident you are about the thing you believe. Uh, there is a very natural progression in how sure you are about 
the thoughts you have. Like, um, I know for a fact, knowledge, absolute certainty, two plus two equals four. I've seen it worked out. I was told by people I can trust and I can reason through it myself and I can figure it out. I know that I know that I know two plus two is four. That's knowledge. I believe there is a God who created all things and loves me very much. I have good evidence about that. I have good testimony about that. I have good reason to believe that. Thank you so much, sir. I have good reason to believe that. But there's some room for doubt. I've never seen God with my own two eyes, never touched him with my own hands. And so some might doubt. So some would call that a belief. I know that two plus two is four. I believe there's a God who created all things and loves me very much. And I maybe suspect some other things. I suspect that he's blessing me today. And I sincerely hope he's using this message to touch your heart. I have some reasons to believe that. It maybe hasn't played itself all the way out yet, so I can't quite be sure. So there's these like levels of certainty, right? I suspect some things. I believe some things. I know some things. But the difference between suspecting, believing, and knowing is not faith. That's not what faith is. But we can tend to accidentally treat faith like that, especially when it comes to a prayer request. You just got to have faith, brother. You got to believe. As though we can move from suspicion to knowledge by drumming up some kind of emotional fervor. I know that I know that I know that I know that God's going to answer this prayer. It's, it's good. It's very good to, to move from suspicion to knowledge. And as I get to know the heart of God and the way he works in the world, I can be confident about what it is that he does and how much he loves me and how he comes through with some answered prayers. But that is not the thing, the big key that God requires from you. That's not what faith is. That's not saving faith. Um, one excuse me, commonly misunderstood verse, which leads us often to this mistake, is found in James chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man should not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. <clears throat> on, on first reading, this makes it seem as though faith is the opposite of doubt. Yeah? He must ask in faith without doubting, as though those two things are opposite, as though we can't have faith in the midst of doubt. And I would actually contend it's when we have doubts that our faith is most strong. James uh, here can accidentally give many of us as believers the idea that how sure we are about answered prayer is the key to getting that prayer answered. As though God's not going to answer your prayer unless you're really, really sure that he will. And that's not how God works. This uh, verse actually uh, comes in a very different context, which uh, will, will help us get a better understanding of what faith really means. In this particular, 
In this particular verse, I actually prefer the New Living Translation. The next uh, slide, the New Living Translation makes it a bit more clear. When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. For a person of divided loyalty should not, respect that he'll receive, should not expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord. James' definition of faith has less to do with how sure you are of something and how sure you are of who you're praying to. So the best example I have of this came from just this last year, a friend of ours, a missionary. Uh, she and a small crew were uh, going through a neighborhood, doing a kind of prayer walk, um, praying over each of the homes in that neighborhood, uh, knocking on doors, asking people if they wanted prayer. Um, and there was one lady who opened the door, yes, yes, please come in, I'd like some prayer. And they shared some prayer requests and they sat down together and they began praying for her. And our friend said, she got the oddest feeling. She felt like her prayers were just bouncing off the ceiling. You ever get that feeling sometime? She felt like uh, God wasn't really receiving her prayers. She felt sort of uh, distant or alone, as though her prayers weren't really being heard in heaven. So she asked God, Heavenly Father, why, why do I get this odd feeling? And she said she got just then uh, a vision of a, a figure, uh, a figurine, a statue of some kind. She didn't know what that means. And she worked up the courage, and she asked the, the hostess. You know, I'm, I'm feeling like in this moment, I'm, I'm picturing something of a statue. Does that mean anything to you? And this lady responded, responded angrily and immediately, you're not taking my statues away. Don't even think about it. I'm keeping them. I'm not going to get rid of them. They're important to me. They're mine. You can't take them. What they didn't know was that this lady was something of uh, a witch doctor in that particular neighborhood. And she had a number of other idols, household idols, in her home to which she would pray. She has, she has some need in her life. She has some problems she wants solved. She'll pray to this idol. She'll pray to that God. And oh, sure, are you representing Jesus? Come on in. I'll ask him too. I'll ask any God, any spiritual power, any source that I can get the answers that I want, that I can see the change that I want in my life. Sure, I'll try them all. Whichever one works. That's divided loyalty. That's not someone who's coming to Jesus with their hope and faith in him. That's someone who's treating Jesus as a source of spiritual power to get what I want or what I think I need in life. And James is saying that is a person of divided loyalty. And that person ought not to expect that she will receive anything from the Lord. God is more interested, I think, in proving himself trustworthy than in answering your prayer. In this particular verse, also it's worth noting that James here is talking about asking the Lord for wisdom. God doesn't guarantee answers to very many prayers. In James, God guarantees to answer your prayer for wisdom. He's not guaranteeing to answer anything you ask. He's saying, does anyone lack wisdom? Ask God. He will give it to you. So James is talking about wisdom. Um, it's also worth noting that James is talking about um, he who lacks faith should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, but James does not say that the opposite is also true, that he who has faith should expect to receive everything from the Lord. Do you see that? He who lacks faith should not expect to receive anything, but it does not say if you have faith, then you get everything. That's not how God works. Um, Another example of a verse that we commonly misunderstand 
in this regard is Mark chapter 11. And Jesus answered, saying unto them, the disciples, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted you. I know this is, <laughs> this is hard to explain around. That makes it seem like you just have to be sure that God will answer your prayer and therefore you'll get it. It does seem a lot like that, I know. Again, the context is very important. In this particular passage in Mark, um, this is during um, the Passion Week. Jesus uh, has entered triumphantly into Jerusalem. He has um, confronted the tax collectors in the temple. He has debated with the Pharisees. Um, and this whole chapter is all about proving Jesus's authority, proving his position as the son of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, him and him alone. So this is establishing that Jesus is the only one who can answer prayers. <clears throat> and so he states rather clearly, believe, follow after me, focus on me, you can be sure of this one thing. Here's this one thing that the whole passage is trying to point out to you. It's in him alone. Focus on him. Um, but if we take this as the be-all, end-all, key to answered prayers, then we will have missed a lot of the other teachings of Jesus and a lot of the other teachings of Scripture. In this particular case, I think Jesus is using hyperbole. He's making a point by stating it really, really strongly just to drive the point home. And we might misunderstand that, that this is the only thing when really he's just saying it extra strong to be sure that we get the point. He's not really saying that this is the only thing because there are many other examples in the life of Jesus and throughout scripture to the contrary. In Mark chapter eight, Jesus prays for a blind man. He prays for the blind man and then he says, how about now? And the blind man says, oh, not quite yet. I can see a little bit. Jesus prays again. And how about now? Okay, his sight is restored. So apparently when Jesus prayed the first time, he wasn't sure whether he got his answer or not yet, or his answer came only halfway. So Jesus himself doesn't seem to follow that kind of advice. Like you have to be absolutely certain, I'm sure that I'm sure that I'm sure in order to receive your answer to prayer. The Bible also teaches that there are lots of other keys to answered prayer. If you do a Google search to keys for answered prayer, the top hits will give you all different assortment of numbers. The seven keys to answered prayers, four keys to getting your prayers answered, the five most important things to see your prayers answered. No one can seem to agree because the Bible teaches us that there's quite a number of factors in our life that have a, that have a play in the, the answer we see to our prayers. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name and I will do whatever they ask. So the number of people that you have praying with you is a key to answered prayer. In 1 John 5, <coughs> John says, whatever we ask according to his will, so whether or not God wants to answer your prayer, whether this is part of his plan for your life or for the world at large, that has a big influence on whether or not he will answer that prayer the way that we pray it. In Matthew 17, the disciples were unable to cast out a demon and they said, how come we couldn't do it, Lord? And he said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. So our persistence or diligence in prayer is also a factor. 
James, again, James chapter 5 says, the prayer of the righteous is effective. So the presence of sin in our lives is also a factor for answered prayer. Again, I think God is most interested in developing your character than he is in making things turn out the way that we want. Daniel 10 and Isaiah 66 are really interesting passages. In Daniel 10, Daniel is praying. Uh, He receives, after some time, he receives a visitation from an angel, and the angel says to him, from the very first moment you started praying, I came to answer your prayer, but the prince of the air of Persia resisted me. There are spiritual forces at work in the world, people, and sometimes that can influence the answers we see to our prayers. And in Isaiah 66, God says how much he wanted to bless his people, but they have chosen their own way. God is not interested in robots. He's not interested in forcing people to do what they don't want to do. He's interested in changing hearts. And you may be praying for a loved one uh, who has not come to faith, and God may be working in their lives, but he's not going to control their minds. He's going to leave each one of us with free choice, with free will. Sometimes people don't come to faith in him. Sometimes there are those in the world who, um, who bring us sorrow and pain, those who abuse and those who oppress. And that is not God's will, but he's not in the business of controlling minds, and he's not going to make people do something. <clears throat> so it's important for us to realize that faith is not the same as psychological certainty. It's not the key to answered prayer. It is a key to answered prayer. We should, when we ask God for something, we should be confident that he hears and that he wants to bless us, that he wants to answer our prayers. You can absolutely be confident in that, and you should be confident in that. I think he is honored when you're confident in that. And when he's honored in the way you pray, I think he's more likely to answer in the way that you ask. So it is a key to answered prayer. But it's not the only thing. The reason I think this misunderstanding is important because when we treat faith as psychological certainty, when we say faith means how sure you are of something, we can tend to shut off those who have doubts. If you're here this morning and you have doubts about Jesus, about the way God is at work in your life, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the family of God. It's okay. He loves you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not going to give up on you because you're unsure. It's okay to have doubts. Bring them in. It doesn't scare him at all. It doesn't scare me at all. Bring it on. Let's talk about it. There's a lot of scary things out there in the world, a lot of things I don't understand. Let's talk about that. That's okay. Let's not shut off those with doubts by saying they don't have faith, as if they can't be Christian because they don't have everything certain in their mind. That's not how God works. Also, when we treat faith as psychological certainty, we can, we can kind of tend to be treating God like, like magic, just like this, uh, this witch doctor, as though he's some sort of source of power. And if I just, uh, if, I, if I say it just so, and I feel it just so, then what, what, what I want will happen. As though God is some kind of, uh, as though we could manipulate God, as though he ever owes it to us to do what we ask because we did it the right way or because we believed it just strongly enough. That's not how God works. <clears throat> so faith is not a level of psychological certainty. Number two, Faith is also not right belief. And this is a a tough one. I want to be careful here because 
I don't want to downplay how important it is that we believe rightly, that we understand who God is and how he works in us and through us and what he's doing in the world. That is very important. Um, right belief, if nothing else, facilitates right action. There are religions all over the world and different strands even of Christianity who believe God is just so or just like this, and it leads them to uh, engage in their community or in the world at large in very strange and different ways, um, sometimes, um, sometimes oppressively, sometimes violently. If you misunderstand, if you think that God is angry and vengeful, it would lead you to act out in angry and vengeful ways. But if you believe rightly, you come to understand and you're a good student of the scriptures and you see the tender father heart of God, then that would lead you to respond in a very different way. So right belief is very important, but it's not the same as faith. And that's, that's, where, that's where this maybe small but important distinction comes into play. Um, when I talk about, when I say faith, I'm talking about the thing that saves the difference between those of us who follow Christ and those who don't, the difference between heaven and hell is faith, not right belief. Right belief is important, but it's not the difference. It's not the thing that saves. Faith can lead to right belief, and right belief can lead to faith. They're very much related but they're not quite the same thing, and it's, important, and it's an important difference. Here, uh, a common verse that we misunderstand is Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Looking at this verse all by itself, we can, we can accidentally get the idea that salvation is a formula. If I say this and I think that, then I get to go to heaven. God's not interested in formulas, y'all. He's interested in a relationship. He's interested in developing your character. He's interested in you knowing him and following him. But on a first reading, we can kind of get this idea that if we, if we just say something right or think something right, then that means we get to go to heaven. The important thing here is to realize that when Paul wrote this to the Romans, he was making a case against earning your salvation. He was telling the Romans, we had in the, in the Old Testament scriptures, we had the law and God taught us how to live. And there are some who think if I just live the way God told me to live, then I'll be okay with him and he'll let me into heaven. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You can't earn it. You can't do well enough to earn salvation. Salvation is not to do with how good you are. Salvation has to do with your relationship to Jesus. And it's also important to note that Paul here is writing this verse to reassure those who are already believers, who already have faith, who may be doubting what it is about them that makes them saved. And so Paul here is pointing out what makes them distinct as people who are saved. If you are unsure of your salvation, you can ask yourself these questions. Have you confessed? With, do, you, do you say Jesus is my Lord? And do you believe that he's raised from the dead? Stop worrying. You're okay. So Paul is not giving us a formula 
to go from unsaved to saved. He's just reassuring those who are saved. Because we know elsewhere, Paul says uh, in Ephesians 2. Can we go two slides ahead, actually? Yeah, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If we treat salvation as a formula, if I say this and I think this, then I'm saved, that's just a different type of earning your salvation. It's just earning your salvation, but not with your hands, the activity of your hands. It's earning your salvation by the activity of your mind. If I think just this way, then I get saved. But we know that thinking a certain way is not what saves because James tells us, can we go back one slide? You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Even the demons know that God is supreme and he is good. And in the end, he will win. And they're furious about it. And they're going to make as much trouble as they can through the rest of history because they're jealous, because they're full of pride and hate. But they know who he is. They know how good he is. They know what Jesus has done for us. Does that make them saved? No. So if you know how good God is and you know what Jesus has done for you, does that make you saved? No. It's by faith alone that we're saved. The reason that this is uh, important is because we can tend, as we try to as we try to minister to the world, as we try to get people into these doors so that we can love on them, so that we can shine God's light in their life, so that we can show them the gracious, tender hand of God, we can sometimes give them the idea that being a Christian means saying and thinking a certain way. And that's what gets you into heaven. But that's not really what the Bible teaches us. And this, so this is important for our testimony to the world. What it means to be saved, how we get saved is through faith alone. <clears throat> so, finally, what is faith? <clears throat> faith is faith is not something that you can drum up emotionally, not psychological certainty. Faith is not a certain set of right beliefs. If you believe just so only smart people get into heaven, that's not faith. Faith is that condition of your soul that, that attitude, that default that you find in your spirit, which is the difference between heaven and hell. One definition I like comes from a book called the Encyclopedia of the Bible. Faith is the means by which there is present experience of realities which are future in time or unseen as belonging to the spiritual sphere. That's really complex and I don't like it, but but overall, it's got the right ideas. The means by which. What I like here is that this says faith is the means by which we experience God's love and we come to experience the reality of salvation. Jesus said that eternal life begins now, not just in the hereafter, but that when by faith you trust in him, his his eternal life is reborn in you now. So there is, some, there is some condition of your soul, of your spirit, which is faith. And that's something, that's something unique. It's something different. It's how we begin to experience God's kingdom 
in our hearts and in our lives now. Uh, we began this with a look at Hebrews 11, verse 1, which, many, uh, which I think leads many of us to misunderstand what faith really is. But I really like uh, the message version. Eugene Peterson wrote this paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. Um, often he goes a bit too far and, and makes things less clear. But here, I really like the way he said it. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. That bit there in the middle, this trust in God, this faith, that's what faith is. Faith is trust in God. As James said, faith is loyalty. Faith is reliance or submission. <clears throat> it may lead to right belief, it may lead to psychological certainty and vice versa, but it's not quite the same. Faith is, in my favorite definition, next, a posture of trust. Faith is a posture of trust. It's that condition of your heart, which is trusting in God and the way he works in you and through you. <clears throat> I like to use this metaphor of a posture because... Um, it's really handy to see how you relate to someone before you've even really interacted with them. You can imagine uh, someone, uh, perhaps a stranger, walks in the door, and my first reaction to that person could be closed and suspicious. This could be my posture. My physical posture towards them tells you what my mental and emotional and spiritual posture towards them might be a closed posture, perhaps even a hostile posture. If someone, if someone walked in that door and looked dangerous or ready for a fight, I'm ready. One, one time, uh, I was at home after work one day, uh, chatting on the phone with my sister, just blabbing away, blah, 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 loudly enough that I didn't hear my wife come in the door after work. And so she snuck up right behind me, stinker. And... Boo! She scared me. And I swear, I jumped up. I think the phone went flying somewhere. I don't know. And I hit the ground like this, right? It's like, like that fight or flight uh, kicks in. And I, and I landed in a defensive posture. I was ready. This was, this was my posture. And then, of course, I saw it was my loving wife, and we all had a good laugh. But that, but that was my posture. If you scare me, watch out. That was my posture, was defensive, was hostile. I could be closed, I could be hostile, I could be indifferent, I could care less who Jesus is, what he's up to, I could be indifferent. But faith is that condition of your soul that is turned towards him, that says, you're all I want, you're all I need, I don't have all the answers, I'm not quite sure. Faith is a posture towards God that is open, that is moving towards him, that is reverent and submissive to his goodness and greatness, that is eager to get all that he has for you. Faith is the difference between those who put themselves as judge of the universe and those who leave God as judge of the universe. There are those of us 
who see what's going on in our own lives, in the lives of those around us, see what's going on in the world, and we think, God, what are you... Are you, are you really here? Are you really up to something? We'll see about this. We'll see. How is this going to turn out? Maybe that'll prove whether or not you're good. I'll decide. I'm withholding judgment, and I'm going to see what's going on, and I'll be the judge, and I know what's best for my own life, and I'll take care of myself. It might not turn out great, but that's the best I've got. But faith says, I'm yours. Faith says, I'm with you. I don't have all the answers. I don't have full control. I know you've got good plans for me. I'm going to do my best to follow as you lead. I'm going to do my best to obey. I'm not always going to get it right. Things aren't going to always turn out as I like, but I'm with you all the way. That's faith. That posture of trust, that willingness, that openness to follow wherever he leads, that's faith. And brothers and sisters, that's all that he requires that's it. Do you remember the parable of the prodigal son? Turned his back on his father, walked away, decided, I know how to take care of myself. I'm going to take what you give me and I'm going to do it myself. And he went away and he ruined his life. And did the father forget him? Did the father push him away? The father was watching and waiting eagerly. And as soon as that boy turned back home, even when he was a long way off, Scripture says, as soon as his posture was oriented, as soon as his trust was in the Father again, the Father was right there to scoop him up, to celebrate his return, to treat him once again as a beloved child. Not everyone could understand it, not everyone could stomach it, but that's the kind of father he is. And boys and girls, that is all that he requires of you, is faith. In the coming year, God may have many things that he wants to do in your life. You may have many prayers. There may be many things you want to see him do in your life. But for the sake of not overburdening yourself, and for the sake of our testimony to the world around us, let's not confuse what it is that he requires of us is nothing more that he requires of you. As the song says, trust and obey, for there's no better way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's what faith is, and that's all that he requires of you because he loves you very, very much.